0: Our gracious Father, we do pray, Lord, as we were singing that song, that your will would be done. You taught us to pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, that you would forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have debts towards us. You would lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. You taught us that prayer, Lord. And so I pray as we seek you in your word tonight, that you would make your will from this passage for each of us. Maybe it's something we need just to hear, or maybe it's a correction, or maybe it's an encouragement. Uh, Whatever it is, Lord, may we hear your will for us. In Jesus' name, amen. As you recall from last week, God said there would be dire consequences because of David's sin. One of those consequences was that the sword would never depart from David's house and that adversity would rise up from within David's house. We are not told how much time passes between chapters 12 and 13. I mean, verse 1 after this, right? That's all it says. After this, after David came back from fighting. Um, or finishing off this war in Rabba, or after the events with uh, you know Bathsheba, we're not told. Uh, there's really no reason for us to believe it was a particularly long period of time, uh, but we we're ju- we just don't know. What this is going to show us, though, today in chapter 13, is a God is true to His word. Right? We we could look at this, oh, well, you know, but but David's, right, he made a mistake, but God's a God of grace. But you know what? God is always going to be true to his word. And second, we're going to see the consequences that God pronounced upon David's house have now begun. And they are unfortunately going to continue until David's death. And actually, for a short while after his death, um, Solomon and one of his brothers have a couple issues after David's death. But that's down the road. We're going to get there. Chapter 13 of 2 Samuel, verse 1. After this, Absalom, the son of David, had a lovely sister, whose name was Tamar. And Ammon, the son of David, loved her. Ammon was so distressed over his sister Tamar that he became sick, for she was a virgin. And it was improper for Ammon to do anything to her. But Ammon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother. Uh, So that actually made Jonadab his cousin, uh, because he was the son of David's brother. Now, Jonadab was a very crafty man. And he said to him, why are you, the king's son, becoming thinner day after day? Will you not tell me? And Ammon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. And Jonadab said to him, you sick piece of work. You're the king's son. Find somebody else. She's your sister. Nope, that's not what Jonah... You know, if I could rewrite certain parts of the Bible, which I can't because I have no right to add anything to or take anything away from Scripture. But could you just imagine how much easier some of their lives would be? You know, last week we talked, David walked out, he saw a woman bathing, and he went, wait, that's not my wife, and went back inside. Problem solved! (laughs) Here, Jonadab looks at Ammon and goes, dude, you need a therapist she's your sister let it go nope that's not what happened so jonadab said to him lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill and when your father comes to see you say to him please let my sister tamar come and give me food and prepare the food remember he's sick prepare the food in my sight that i may see it and eat it from her hand right he's pretending that he's so weak He can't even use his hand to pick up his own food. Dude. So Ammon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see Ammon, said to the king, please let Tamar, my sister, come and make a couple of cakes for me in my sight that I may eat from her hand. We're going to stop there for a moment. So Ammon loves, quote, unquote, loves his half-sister, Tamar, so much so that not being with her is making him sick. Now, here's the problem with English. And we have explored this problem in the past. And that is, we have one word for love. And that word we then apply to everything that we have some sort of emotion that's related to love towards. Right? We got home today uh, I got home from the church and Leah got home from work and she made me go to Walmart um, I you made me go to Walmart I didn't want to go um, and uh, and uh, we got home and Hannah had baked brownies I was good I only ate one I'm not going to talk about how big it was but it was only one brownie right I ate one brownie and I you know I could truly say I love brownies and i love my wife and i love my cat and i love pickleball and i love lord of the rings but in each of those cases the love that i have for the object of that sentence is very very different except maybe my cat and my wife they're kind of close I really love my kitty. She's so cute. And she comes and she'll crawl up on me and she'll kiss me on my nose with her nose. She doesn't do that. <laughs> <This is true. laughs> I just, I'm just saying. Um, but it's different, right? We know in Greek there's multiple words for love. Um, like, like there's phileo, which is the love between... It's a brotherly love. So it can be between two men or two women who it has nothing to do with any kind of sexual attraction or anything of the sort. Then you have eros, which is where we get our word erotic. That's the word that it's just lust. It's not actually love. Then we have storge, which is a familial love, right? The way I love my wife would be storge. And sometimes eros, but mostly storge. Okay, that's probably about 50-50. Uh, but still, right, that, that's a different love. I don't. We don't have a phileo love. I don't love her like a friend. That's different, right? People on this side of the room, and well, okay, everybody else here except her, I love in that way, in the phileo so, sort of way. Not phileo fish, but phileo like Philadelphia. That popped into my head you had to suffer with it. I don't I'm like we're I'm not going to blame the Holy Spirit for that, but it just showed up. So we went with it. The point I'm getting is there's a lot of different words for love. The word for love here is not what we think of as love. Ammon Amnon, sorry, was not in love with Tamar. This was not an affection where where he had a desire for her best interest, which if you know what's about to happen, you know. All this means is that he was sexually attracted to her. And he was so lustful toward her that it was making him sick. Now, I've already said it once, but I need to say it again again. Being sexually attracted to your sister is disgusting. I don't care if she's your half-sister, or your whole sister, or your stepsister. If there is any kind of blood relation between you and that woman and your parents, the answer is no. (laughs) So his friend Jonadab, his cousin Jonadab, steps up and he goes, What's wrong, cousin? You're the king's son. Why, why are you going through this? I just really want to have sex with my sister. And Jonadab goes, I got a plan. This, this is easy. Pretend you're sick. Your dad will come see you. When your dad comes see you, ask if your sister can come and make you some food. Because you're too weak to eat. And Amnon goes, hey, that just might work. So he asks this of his father. And his father grants the request. Verse seven. So David sent home to Tamar, saying, "Now go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him." So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house. I mean, why wouldn't she? Your brother's not feeling well. He just really likes whatever kind of cake it is she bakes, you know. And yeah, oh, I'll I'll, I'll go fix my brother a cake. No worries. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house and and he was lying down and she took flour and kneaded it and made cakes in his sight and baked the cakes. She took the pan and placed them out before him, but he refused to eat. Then Amnon said, have everyone go out from me. And they all went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food into the bedroom that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes, which she had made and brought them to Amnon, her brother in the bedroom. Now, when she had brought them to him to eat, he took hold of her, said to her, come lie with me, my sister. Dude. But she answered him, no, my brother, that's gross. Um. All right, that, that's the Message Bible. If we went back, I'm pretty much sure that's what it says. No, my brother, do not force me for no such thing should be done in Israel. Do not do this disgraceful thing. And I... Where could I take my shame? And as for you, you would be like one of the fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king. He will not withhold me from you. However, he would not heed her voice. And being stronger than she, he forced her and lay with her. So we're going to stop there for a second. So the sickness of Amnon. So first he tries to seduce her, right? Bring the cakes in. And he's like, hey, baby, I know you're my sister, but... And she's like, uh, no, that's, that's not how that's done. And so then he grabs her and she's like, no, don't force me. This is shameful. And and she goes, look, just call dad. He'll let me be your wife. He's not going to care about that. You're not in line for the throne anyway. Right? So he's not going to care. So just, just call dad. And maybe she was trying to buy a little bit of time or whatever, but would have been a simple request and he says no and he rapes his sister first corinthians chapter 6 verse 9 through 11 do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of god do not be deceived Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. 1 Thessalonians 4.3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. So we have this list, and uh, I'm, I'm not going to go through each of these one at a time, uh, but a number of the things named uh, did involve sexual immorality, fornicators, idolatry here is in relation to sexual immorality uh, because in Corinth they would often uh, go worship at um, uh, no Diana was in Ephesus who was in Corinth Aphrodite if I'm correct don't quote me on that I could be wrong Um, but anyways they had a goddess they worshiped there a temple in Corinth and how did they worship well you would go to the temple you would light your candle you would drop your money in the offering and then you'd go have sex with one of the temple prostitutes and literally Like if you were a dude, you'd tell your wife, go, hey, I'm going to church. Have fun. And on top of that, uh, the prostitutes were male and female. Um, But, so that's where idolatry comes into sexual immorality. And and then all the other things listed there. And such were some of you. Yep. I identify with a number of the things on that list. Not all of them, but a number of them. But not anymore. And why? Because I have been washed and sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Oh, and that's the beauty about forgiveness. That's the beauty about a relationship with Christ. Yeah, we all have a past. Every single one of us. We've all made mistakes. And if we're honest, we've probably made some recently. And if we haven't, right? Maybe we've had a pretty good week. We're probably going to make one tomorrow. That's that's just the nature of it. But of those things, we've been washed. Of those things, we've been sanctified. We've been set apart. Of those things, we've been justified. We're made righteous before God because of the name of the Lord Jesus and the Spirit of God. Those things no longer have control over us those things no longer have a say in our destiny those things no longer have input into our personality they don't they were nailed to the cross they were defeated at the resurrection and we in christ are free that's good stuff there and then we know that abstaining from sexual immorality is the will of God from 1 Thessalonians four three. I always love passages that say, this is the will of God, right? It makes it easy because sometimes we have to discern the will of God and that's not always easy. But one thing I can tell you that I know for a fact is the will of God uh, is abstaining from sexual immorality. And the Bible defines sexual immorality as any sexual activity outside of a marriage between one man and one woman. Anything else? Sexual immorality. And I know that that paints a pretty broad stroke. Well, good. There's a lot of things in our world that are sexually immoral. Verse 15. Then Amnon hated her exceedingly. Man, if this guy couldn't have been any more of a jerk so that he, the hatred which he had hated her was greater than the lust with which he had lusted after her. I know your Bible says love, but the word really is lust. And Amnon said to her, Arise, be gone. There's, there are words to describe this man. Words that we're not going to say whilst preaching a sermon. Words that we are not going to convey on any device that could record those words. But there are words, because this guy, uh, I mean, he's in a special class of bad people. Special class. So he wants to throw her out, and she goes, no, indeed. This evil of sending me away is worse than the other that you did to me. But he would not listen to her. And he called his servant who attended him and said, here, put this woman out away from me and bolt the door behind her. Now she had on a robe of many colors for the king's virgin daughters wore such apparel and his servant put her out and bolted the door behind her. So afterwards, he just hates her, right? He didn't love her. This was pure lust. It led to horrific sin. And it shows us that Amnon was only interested in his own self-gratification. Once he satisfied his lust, he had no more interest in her. And I think many men today are the exact same way, right? Yeah. You, how often? I, I don't know. You, you see it in the movies. I'm sure it happens in the real world. I don't know. Uh, I've been married for so long. I don't think I ever tried this tactic. Um, but many men will look at a woman and say, oh, I, I love you and i just want to show you how much i love you by using you as a sexual object right they're never going to say it that way can't you just show me the same love that i want to show you but if he truly loves her well then he's going to be willing to wait until they're married and if she really loves him well she's going to make him wait And what God has given us in the gift of sex is a beautiful thing. When it's between one man and one woman within their marriage, anything else is sin and a violation of God's intention. So he tells her to leave and she actually begs to stay because of the shame he has caused her. But he has one of his servants throw her out and lock the door. Her robe of many colors given to all the king's virgin daughters was a symbol not just of her virginity, but of her favor before the king. Much like the coat that Jacob had given to Joseph uh, back in Genesis 37. Now, the question that I think we do have to pay attention to is why would she be willing to stay? Why would she say, no, don't throw me out? Well, there's a couple of Old Testament laws in regards to rape. If you raped a woman who was betrothed, uh, you were put to death. If you raped a woman who was not betrothed, her father could force you to marry her. Now, I don't know why. I mean, I'm sure that had something to do with the culture of the time, But her father could force you to marry her and you would never be allowed to divorce her. Now, if you rape a woman and she tries to scream and there was nobody to hear her screams, the punishment was death. So at this point, Amnon should be put to death for what he's done because he put everybody else out of the house. I am sure she screamed and it didn't make any difference. So we get to verse 19. Then Tamar put ashes on her head, tore her robe of many colors that was on her and laid her hand on her head and went away crying bitterly. And Absalom, her brother said to her, has Amnon, your brother, been with you? But now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this thing to heart. So Tamar remained desolate in her brother Absalom's house. But when King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. And Absalom spoke to his brother Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had forced his sister Tamar. Now, so the the, the ashes, the tearing of the robe, all of that, a sign of mourning. And Absalom offers to take care of her. Uh, most likely, she would never get married. Most likely. He tells her to hold her peace, probably expecting David to deal with it right I don't think when he told her to hold her peace because you know when he says hold your peace this this is your brother I don't think it's because Absalom did not want Amnon to face the consequences of his actions. I, I don't think that's the reasoning. I think his reasoning is that it was the king's job to deal with it. not only was the king judge over Israel, this is his son David, should have dealt with this. Because, now David finds out and he's angry, but he does nothing. And we're going to find out in a little bit that Absalom takes the next two years to plot Amnon's murder. So what we see in Absalom here refusing to talk to his brother spending the next 2 years plotting his murder is what we call a root of, bit- of bitterness a root of bitterness hebrews 12:14 through 15 pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the lord looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of god lest any root of bitterness springing up because trouble And by this, many become defiled. You know, it doesn't take much to plant a root of bitterness. It really doesn't. You can very easily have a little offense that you don't deal with right away. And then, right, it gets under your skin and it festers and it starts taking root right and if we're going with it with a gardening analogy those roots are going to move their way into your heart into your mind and then you start to get obsessed with it and you start to struggle with it and you can't think anything positive towards the other person and then what it springs up cuz that's what happens when you plant a plant right the seed it opens up it it starts to create roots and when the root system is strong enough the plant then breaks through the soil and starts to grow. That's what a root of bitterness is. If it's in there long enough, it'll get strong enough that that bitterness will spring up and cause trouble and even cause us to be defiled. Literally, it will cause us to sin. We are literally told to be careful with this looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this many become defiled. So we get to verse 23. And it came to pass after two full years that Absalom had sheep shearers in Baal Hazor, which is near Ephraim. So Absalom invited all the king's sons. Then Absalom came to the king and said, Kindly note, Your servant has sheep shears. Please let the king and his servants go with your servant. But the king said to Absalom, No, my son, let us not all go now, lest we be a burden to you. Then he urged him, but he would not go, and he blessed him. Then Absalom said, If not, please let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said to him, Why should he go with you? And Absalom urged him so he let amnon and all the king's sons go with him now absalom had commanded his servant saying watch now when amnon's heart is merry with wine and when i say to you strike amnon then kill him do not be afraid have i not commanded you be courageous and valiant i don't how courageous and valiant can you be to kill somebody who's passed out drunk but you know So the servants of Absalom did to Amnon as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose, and each one got on his mule and fled. And it came to pass, while they were on the way, that news came to David, saying, Absalom has killed all the king's sons, and not one of them is left. So the king arose and tore his garments and lay on the ground, and all his servants stood by with their clothes torn. Then Jonadab, hey, he just seems to show up at the right time, doesn't he? Then Jonadab, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother answered and said, Let not my lord suppose they have killed all the young men, the king's sons, for only Amnon is dead. For by the command of Absalom, this has been determined from the day that he forced his sister Tamar. Now therefore, let not my lord think, sorry, let not my lord the king take this thing to heart to think that all the king's sons are dead, for only Amnon is dead. Absalom, right, he wants to, they're having a sheep shearing party, wants his dad, wants all of his brothers to come down to the sheep shearing party. And this really was a big deal. Um, it, was, it was not, I don't think, one of the official feasts, but it was a feast. And, you know, there'd be a big celebration and there'd be a big meal and, you know, the wine would be flowing freely um, because they would be celebrating God's provision of the wool from shearing the sheep. David goes, nah, I'm not coming right now. Uh, and, but he blesses him. He goes, you know, go, you go, my son, and celebrate the goodness of God. And, and he goes, well, all right. Well, Dad, since you're not going to come, can Amnon come? David goes, why? You haven't spoken to him in two years. Why now? And he goes, come on, Dad, just let Amnon come. Um, I need a reason. No, Dad, just don't worry about it. Just let him, right? He never actually gives David a reason. I'm kind of thinking if you know one kid wants to kill the other kid and that kid invites the other kid to some feast and won't tell you why probably keep that other kid home I'm throwing that out there we know of course this was a ploy so Absalom could kill his brother and that's what he did he commanded his servants to kill him as soon as he was drunk all the other brothers hop on their mules and leave um now I'm slightly ignorant of animals because right, you got a donkey, right, which is the little one, usually. I mean, some donkeys can be larger, right? But then you, then you have a horse, and the mule is the cross between the horse and the donkey. Am I right yeah. on that? Right, so a mule w- could move pretty quickly, I'm guessing. Because the first thing that I got in my mind, because I'm me and I grew up in a city, um, was that they all hopped on these tiny little donkeys and started kind of plodding away, like, really, you're not going to escape on that. Um, but that's not the case mules mules were faster Uh, they all take off word gets back to david that all of his sons are dead Uh, where they were shearing sheep really wasn't all that far from jerusalem Uh, but then jonadab he's right there right david's distraught he's torn his clothes he's fallen on his face and jonadab what does this guy do he just happened to be in absalom's house When Absalom needed a really, sorry, Amnon needed a really bad idea. Now he just happens to be in the room where the king is is mourning, thinking all of his sons are dead. He just happens to be there. I don't know. It said he was a crafty man. I I think he's, he's got angles. But in any case, he's like, oh, King David, that's not what happened. All your sons are fine. Only Amnon is dead because he had raped Tamar. And by the way, the other son, Absalom, he's been plotting this for the last two years. What a great friend. Doesn't care that his friend Amnon is dead. Doesn't care that he's selling Absalom down the river. Right? I'm I'm just kind of thinking this this is one of those guys. Right? He's never the the guy, but he's always near the guy. Right? You know what? You You know the person I'm talking about? He's never, you know, the president or he's never the CEO, but he's near that guy, right? He's the one that whispers in his ear. He's the one that, that, you know, kind of benefits from all the great things that are going on from the other person without actually having to do any of the work himself. I'm thinking that's the kind of guy Jonadab was. Now, the thing of it is, and I had to look this up um revenge is a dish best served cold have you ever heard that proverb revenge is a dish that is best served cold now if i remember correctly it would i believe it became attributed to italians because of a uh one of the mobster movies that came out at some point in time i want to say it was the godfather but i know that's not right um it was some other mobster movie but actually It's a French proverb. So let let the Italians go. We didn't do it. Of course, if you watch Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, Khan, Nuniun Singh, the bad guy, quotes it as a Klingon proverb. Definitely not a Klingon proverb. (laughs) Definitely not an Italian proverb it's a french proverb, and apparently absalom felt this way as well right he waited two years i mean if somebody rapes your sister you just go down there and chop their head off and be done with it right why do you wait two years well because amnon must well gosh absalom hasn't said a word to me in two years how mad could he really be he invited me to a party this sounds like a great idea apparently amnon was not the sharpest knife in the drawer um <laughs> But I want to, I, I'm going to say this, that I want to agree with Absalom. I really do. If somebody raped my sister, murder would be on my mind. Right? We see back uh, Simeon and Levi when they killed all the men of Shechem after the king's son raped their sister Dinah. Back in Genesis 34. It is still one of my favorite places to read in Genesis and the book of Genesis overall, because, you know, they said, well, yeah, you can, you can marry her, but all your men have to be circumcised. So all the men get circumcised. And the Bible says on the third day, when they were in pain, <laughs> Levi and Simeon went in and killed all of them. And honestly, I get it. I'm not saying they were right. I'm not saying I agree with them. I'm just saying I understand why a person would feel that way. Uh, I have been in a place where I wanted to exact revenge upon someone. I have allowed that root of bitterness to fester and to make me think vengeful thoughts. I am grateful that God via the holy spirit and sometimes disguised as my wife has kept me from doing anything like that just to let me you know try to let it go but why is that so important for us because vengeance is not ours i want it to be oh i wish if god ever called me up and said you know what i'm gonna have you be the avenger of blood i'm gonna give you a big old sword and you can just start killing everybody who sins i'm thinking i might answer that I might be like sure you're god i'll do whatever you tell me um i'm pretty sure that's not going to happen because of passages like luke 19:8. you shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people but you shall love your neighbor as yourself i am the lord so not only are we not to take vengeance, we're not even to hold on to a grudge. We're to love our neighbors. Deuteronomy thirty-two, thirty-five: vengeance is mine and recompense. Their foot shall slip in due time for the day of their calamity is at hand and the things to come hasten upon them. If someone's coming after you, eventually their foot's going to slip. Romans twelve seventeen through 21. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, a lot of people uh, get the heaping coals of fire on the head um, as the vengeance, right? Oh, if you're really nice to him, you give him something to drink and you give him something to eat. Then when they least expect it, you can set their head on fire. That's not what it meant. This was a practice in their culture, right? They didn't have lighters. Or you you couldn't go to the store and buy yourself a Zippo or one of those long clicky lighters for candles that won't light no matter how many times you click it. They didn't have that. So to start a fire back then, good old-fashioned rubbing two sticks together until you got it going. And so what they would do is they would maintain their fire day in and day out, no matter what the weather was or whatnot. Because if it was time to cook you didn't want to try to build a fire and wait till there were coals you already had coals you could throw your bread in there now what happens if your fire went out and your family's hungry or your house is cold Well, you go to your neighbor and the neighbor would take some coals and put them in a vessel that then you could carry home and oftentimes they would carry it on their head so that you could restart your fire it was an act of kindness but the point is, we don't repay evil for evil. We do not, we're not to be overcome by evil, but we overcome evil with good. It's not that easy. But not everything that God commands us to do was meant to be easy. It is a command of our fathers one that we need to be obedient to verse 34 then absalom fled and the young man who was keeping watch lifted his eyes and looked and there many people were coming from the road on the hillside behind him and jonadab said to the king good job jonadab way to be there look the king's sons are coming as your servant said so it is right look it's it's just like i said david See, all your kids are fine. Maybe you want to pay me something? It doesn't say that, but I'm sure that was his angle. So it was, as soon as he had finished speaking, that the king's sons indeed came, and they lifted up their voice and wept. Also the king and all his servants wept very bitterly. But Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Amahud, king of Geshur, and David mourned for his son every day. So Absalom fled and went to Geshur and was there three years. And David longed to go to Absalom, for he had been comforted concerning Amnon because he was dead. So, the aftermath of all of this Absalom flees to Gesher. Now, Talmai, the son of Amahud, was actually Am- uh, sorry, Absalom's grandfather. Right? Talmai's daughter was David's wife, well, one of them, Ma'aka, what a name who bore him Absalom and Tamar. Uh, You can go back and read about her uh, just earlier in 2 Samuel. It's in chapter 3, verse 3. So really what Absalom did is he ran to his grandfather. And I'm sure his grandfather would have been understanding because A, this grandfather had no relation to Amnon. That was from a different part of the family. And B, Tamar was his granddaughter. So Absalom shows up, Telmai's like, well, oh, my grandson, what are you doing here? Well, I killed one of my brothers. What? Why did you kill one of your brothers? Well, he raped Tamar. Well, you know, come on in. Your father will get over it. You know, I. <laughs> how did that conversation go? That, that's how I pictured in my mind. Now, after the king had finished his time of mourning for Amnon, and, and we talked about this with Bathsheba at the time uh, a. a typically the period of mourning would be somewhere between a week and a month just depending on the person who died Um, but after that had happened absalom takes off and he's in gesher with his grandfather for three years and david then after his mourning period he's comforted by the death comforted by the death or concerning the death sorry of amnon and now he longs to see his son So why doesn't he go see him? Now, realistically, even though I don't think Absalom was right for taking revenge, Absalom was within his rights of the law to have Amnon killed. Right? David knew that. Absalom knew that. Everybody involved knew that. This was not a what we would call a premeditated murder in that culture. And according to the law, that was justice. Um, We we don't do that today. We don't get to kill people and call it justice. I'm sorry. (laughs) I know. I know. But once all was said and done, and David has this desire to reconcile to Absalom and there's part of me that imagines Absalom wants to go home and be reconciled to his dad. But neither one of them would make the first move. Right? David's pride was keeping him from this or, or Amnon's pride was keeping him from it. Or it was the pride of both of them and they were some kind of silly standoff. But Why? Now, I have been wronged by people before on more than one occasion. Some of those people I have no desire to reconcile with. I'm just being honest. I've forgiven them. I wish them no ill will. But I have no real desire to, to, you know, start that relationship back up. But not with my family. Right? We all have families. anybody ever had garbage go down in your family, right? And and that garbage makes it so I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to see you. I don't want to be near you. Come to my house for sheep shearing season, you know, um, (laughs) right? We we get that way. I I remember, and you guys have heard me say a lot of things about my dad. Um, When my dad stopped talking to me, uh, I spent almost I don't know two years maybe approaching three i don't know if it was quite three but it was it was over two years reaching out to him tried to send him pictures of the kids we'd get mail back that was unopened things like that i mean it was just sick and eventually i did give up because couldn't make him respond 10 full years my brother calls me and says you know dad wants to talk to you wow okay so i had a conversation with him over the phone we planned a trip i went out and saw him and a few months later he died i'm very grateful that i had that time uh, i wish he had come to christ but as far as i know he rejected that till the very end but the point is and you know and i do think we should try to reconcile relationships when we can when it's not going to cause more harm, that sort of thing. Um, But when it's family, you know, and again, sometimes a family member does something so horrific, right? You're not going to have them around anymore. Uh, But I think the, the lesson here for us is that we should try when it's wise to do so. Matthew 5, 21 through 24 says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, but whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause. I do love those three little words without a cause, (laughs) right? You can be angry with your brother if you have a cause. Um, You can't sin in that anger. Uh, But if you're angry with your brother without a cause, shall be in danger of the judgment. If you say to your brother Raka, one of my favorite words in the Bible. Literally means empty head. If you say to your brother, empty head, basically he's calling you, you know, you'd be calling that person an imbecile, an idiot, a moron. We have, yeah, we have so many good words for it in English. But empty head. Oh, do you guys ever remember Doyers? Doyers. That's the person who has dough between their ears. A doyer. Don't use that. It's the same thing as Raka. But that person will be in danger of the council. If you say you fool, you'll be in danger of hellfire. So therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. And yes, sometimes that reconciliation can't be done. Sometimes uh, that person is gone or sometimes that reconciliation would cause more harm than just leaving it alone. That's reality. And I get that. Sometimes one party does not want to reconcile. It doesn't matter what you do. Right? And reconciliation doesn't necessarily mean that that person's your best friend and now you're going on vacation together or anything like that reconciliation can often just mean you need them to know that you've forgiven them right and whether they receive that or not whether they apologize or not right just to make that effort because if we don't and i'm going to say this real quick this takes time god understands this takes time right one situation in our lives which you all know about it took me five years to get there that's all there is to it i mean you know that's just the reality of the matter that's how long it took i'm not saying whatever it is for you it's going to take five years maybe it'll take longer maybe it'll take less i don't know but the point is you keep coming to god you keep praying you keep out of obedience offering that forgiveness and god over time will change your heart because if you don't it will hinder your worship that root of bitterness springing up which will cause many to be defiled here we're told that we if we come to the altar with our gift and, and we've got something like that we need to deal with and we need to deal with that right and then we come back because the reality is that root of bitterness, that desire for revenge, will hinder our ability to worship. And I don't know about you, but I don't want that to happen to me. It has. I'm not saying it, it never has. I just don't want it to. I think it's really sad to see a family torn apart by sin, especially when it is the sin of a parent. Now, God does not punish children for the sins of their parents. But, quite often, the children will have to deal with the consequences of their parents' sin. Right? Uh, uh, so, my, my children will never be punished for anything I've done. Yet, my children have been on the receiving end of some of the consequences of that. And and, and that's, that's horrifying to me. You, you know, here you have david had an affair and it didn't even make sense that he would have an affair he was the king he could walk down the street see a beautiful young girl and just simply bring her into his harem why would you take another man's wife but that created this chaos in his family then when he failed to deal with amnon which he should have done He added to that chaos and he gave Absalom an excuse to be bitter and all revengey. We need to learn from this in our own lives. We really do. Next week, we're going to see Absalom return to Jerusalem. And there's going to be this beautiful reunion between David and his son. And then Absalom is going to start plotting the downfall of his father. Great kid, this Absalom. Just wait until he runs David off out of Jerusalem. What Absalom does to try to solidify his power. All because David couldn't just walk back inside. When, or Just look the other way when he saw Bathsheba bathing naked. That's what started all of this. It's not worth it. I don't care what the sin is. You know, and I'm not saying we're all going to walk out of here in sinless perfection, but it's not worth it. If it's revenge, if it's bitterness, if it's um, mouthing off to somebody or cussing them out or spreading gossip about them or sexual immorality or that just that one website online or, or whatever it is, none of it's worth it because whether that little bit of pleasure or a little bit of satisfaction that you get from it right it's going to be very temporary it's going to be very fleeting and it's not going to last and the damage that it can cause could last you the rest of your life it's not worth it let's finish on a happy note and we'll pray Father, I love you so much. Your word tells us, Lord, that no sin has overtaken us except such as is common to man. And with the temptation, you will give us the way of escape. And Lord, I know I'm not sinless. And one day I'll get a brand new body and I will be off this earth And sin will no longer be an issue. And I know now that even when I do mess up, I can bring it to you through the cross of Jesus Christ. And I am so grateful. But I pray, Father, that you would give us wisdom. Lord, that you would help us walk according to the leading of your Holy Spirit. That when he smacks us upside the head and tells us not to go here or do that, that we listen. I pray, Father, as we get into the word and we see things clearly revealed to us like that it is your will that we be sanctified and abstain from sexual immorality. Father, that we would take heed to the instructions of your word. Even things, Lord, like letting bitterness fester and defile us. And those things that can hinder our walk with you, our relationship with you, Just pray in all of those things, Father, that you would give us grace, that you would give us mercy, that you would give us the power by your Holy Spirit to walk in a way that pleases you. In Jesus' name, amen.